At this point, I'd, I'd love to invite you to uh, turn to your Bibles to Romans uh, chapter uh, 15. Romans chapter 15. And uh, I do not have a, a text that we're going to be in really the whole time this morning, but as we get started, as we launch into this message, I want to start just by reading from the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 15. So if you would, please stand together as we read God's Word, Romans 15, starting in verse 8 through verse 13. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray together. Our God, we are thankful to gather this morning as your people. Thankful for the gift of our salvation, which begun in the incarnation of Jesus as he came and entered into our world. And as he then ended, giving his life in our place. And it is that reality that unites us together, that brings us here to reflect, to celebrate, to recognize how much we have been given. So I pray that as we, as we look into the hope that we have as your children. I pray that you would stir our hearts and our affections. Let us be captivated in fresh ways by what you have done. As we are so distracted by, by many things happening in our world, every day so many of us have things that we bring into here together that are, that are challenges and difficulties. I pray that you would, through this time, allow us to fix our eyes on you and to remember the hope that has been secured eternally through the work of our Savior. So we ask this in the beautiful and glorious name of Jesus. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, let me ask you as we get started, who in here is a glass half full kind of person and who's a glass half empty kind of person? Who would say it's half empty? Okay, we got a few, we got a few. How many would say the glass is, is half full? All right, we got a lot of, a lot of optimists. I figured uh, maybe this last 10 months would have shifted a, f a few of those over to the other side, uh, but uh, nonetheless, it's good. Uh, if you ask my wife, she, uh, she would tell you that I'm, I've typically been, uh, been an optimist. I, I like to, to think that things are going to work out, that things are, are, are heading in a good direction, especially when it comes to people. I like to think the best about people. And uh, she would tell you also that, that early on in our marriage, years ago, many years ago, I like to think, uh, my optimism actually made me pretty gullible. And uh, it's actually kind of embarrassing to, to tell you, but uh, you know those phone calls that you get that uh, kind of uh, say like, hey, you, you've been selected to win five nights at the Marriott. I don't know why I always get the Marriott ones, but those are the ones that come in. But uh, um, it, it took me a long time to uh, actually realize that those things were all scams. I was kind of optimistic about some of them. And uh, years ago, um, 
I was actually convinced that we had been randomly selected to, to win a vacation. It was some kind of cruise ship or something. We just, all we had to do was come and like listen to some kind of presentation. And so uh, I went home and I told my wife, I said, hey, hey babe, we, we're going to go on this, this trip. It's going to be a great vacation. It'll be awesome. We just got to go and do this. And her response is, you know, that's too good to be true, right? Like they don't just give those things away. And I was like, no, you, sh- you should have heard of this lady. She was super nice. Like she was, she was friendly and I think she was honest. I think it was legit. And so, uh, so I convinced her at least kind of drug my wife down and we, we sat through this, this really long sales pitch trying to get us locked into some kind of vacation timeshare deal. And so we, uh, we left, uh, somewhat disappointed for me, my wife kind of laughing at me as we left. And, uh, and uh, it, it wasn't always cracked up to be. And uh, needless to say, my wife is actually still waiting for this vacation that I promised her. <laughs> but uh, but don't, don't worry, don't worry. I've learned my lessons over the years. I no longer, you know, pick up the phone. I don't answer those phone calls. I, I realize that they're all a scam. So don't worry about me. But uh, I, I was pr- pretty excited this week, though, because I got an email from a Nigerian prince, and he offered me <laughs> this inheritance that uh, all I had to do was give my, my bank account information, and uh, it was super easy, and so uh, it's going to be a good Christmas for us. So. <laughs> but uh, but I, like to, I like to be optimistic. I like to think the best about people and that things are going to turn out okay. You might say that I am hopeful. Hope is a, is a word that is often attached to the season. Possibly you have an ornament hanging on your Christmas tree right now or a sign decorating your wall with just that one word, hope. So what's bound up with that for you when you read that, when you see that in this time? What is, what is attached to that, that hope that you have? And today, like I said, I don't have a single passage that we're going to land on, that we're going to sit in like we normally would around here, but I, but I want to just kind of unpack these different facets of, of, of biblical hope. And I want to call us not to just merely be optimistic about our circumstances, but to be grounded in biblical Christian hope. So the first facet that I think is important for us to see is that, number one, hope recognizes brokenness. Hope recognizes brokenness. Earlier this week, I asked my kids uh, just to define hope. I said, hey, hey kids, what is hope? And one of my kids said this. He said, believing that something is still possible. I thought, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good for a 10-year-old. Homeschool is working out okay during this time, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, believing something is still possible. And at its core, hope entails a belief that a better possibility exists. Hope recognizes that things could improve. You obviously don't hope for something that you don't actually think is going to make your life better, right? So to hope for a a better day or for circumstances to change requires that we recognize the brokenness or the inadequacy of our current state. And I think for for many of us, 2020 has, has, has presented this stark reality, right? It's been a time in which almost everyone has been looking for hope, longing for something to fix this situation, faith in something that's going to make it better, because I don't know how long we can keep doing this, right? For some, it's caused them to have a rising sense of hope as they've heard about this potential vaccine that I guess is shipping out that has a somewhat like a 95% success rate, rate, supposedly. 
So there's a, there's a hopefulness in that, that that's really going to provide some protection and help, help things. Probably other people who, who have this hope of, of getting to some level of herd, man, herd immunity so that they don't have to be forced to take the vaccine. For others, hope is just to get back to normal. Maybe this will eventually just kind of go away and we can get on with our lives. But it's not just this year that has caused people to search for hope, right? If you read your Bible, I I think you'd recognize that since the beginning of time, mankind has experienced the brokenness of this world in every imaginable way, and man has always been on the search for hope. And we all know that to look out into this world, in this condition, is to recognize that things could be better. And this prospect of hope is really what the story of the Bible is all about, from beginning to end, starting in Genesis. You, you, you all, if you've been here, you're probably familiar with this. That since the fall of mankind, the first glimmer was ultimately announced, even though the curse had taken root over all of creation and even in human hearts. We read that one day, the seed of a woman would one day crush the head of a serpent. And over the past couple years as we've walked through Genesis and now walking through Exodus, hopefully you're seeing this theme of of the Bible, that God is on a mission to, to redeem the brokenness of this world, to offer to us a steadfast and lasting hope. And He did that first through the nation of Israel as He calls His people to Himself to be His own possession. And as we see their failures and struggles, we see that they need something beyond themselves. Eventually, God uses the prophets to continue to announce to His people His declarations of hope. You may read the, the prophets such as Isaiah and Jeremiah and be, be struck and overwhelmed just with, with the sheer uh, amount of, of announcements of judgment and despair that seem to be there. But if you read carefully, what you see is that throughout all of those books, there is whispers of hope. That God's going to do something, no matter how bad it looks. And the prophets always pointed forward. One of their favorite lines was, the days are coming. The days are coming. And sometimes those days referred to destruction and exile. But oftentimes in that was that God is going to do something greater. He's going to bring about a restoration. So we read those oft-familiar prophecies around this time of year, such as Isaiah 7, that says a child's going to be born. He's going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. We read Isaiah 9 that says to us, a child is born, a son is given. He's going to be wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That sounds good. We read passages like Micah 5 that that speak of of, of this one that would be born in this specific town in Bethlehem, and he ultimately would, would come along to shepherd his people, to care for them, to restore them. And we see these announcements of hope that are just littered throughout the Bible that that put this trajectory of of God going to do something to act. But at the end of the day, we recognize that one who leans into hope sees their need of rescue. They see their need of something to come to fix the brokenness. Do you see the brokenness even in your own life, in our world? What do you look to? What do you hope for that can actually remedy that?
second reality that, that I think we need to, to focus on, or the second facet of, of this Christian hope, is this idea that future hope is anchored in current realities. Future hope is anchored in current realities. See, biblical hope is not just a mere emotional longing for a better outcome, just that your circumstances in life will improve. But the reason that Christian hope is different from some just kind of wishful thinking is that it's rooted in accomplished realities. A phrase that we often use around here, which hopefully if you've been here and heard us speak, is familiar to you. We often say that this period of salvation history that we live in is kind of this already not yet phase. The already but not yet stage in what God is doing in the world. And we recognize that there are certain objective realities that are already accomplished. And when we, when we stop and think about what has already been accomplished, we need to look no further than the story of the incarnation, of what God has done in the person of Christ. And that's why this Advent season is so important, it's so powerful for us throughout our, the Christian calendar. We so desperately need times in which we stop and actually reflect on what has happened. Because we as people, aren't we so prone to just, just look at what's next? Almost, almost look forward in, in, in fear or skepticism of what's the next big thing that's going to happen that's going to maybe uh, cause us difficulty? What's the next big tragedy? The next, this next presidential administration, what are they going to do? What direction is the stock market going to go? We're always looking for what's going to happen next. But how often do we truly reflect on what has happened in our world? Specifically, how the coming of Jesus actually shapes us here and now, what it actually does to, to, to make this happen, what we're doing now. Like, we don't come here just as some kind of emotional, spiritual, therapeutic exercise that we enter into every week, right? Right? We come here to recognize the historical reality of Christ, His, His life, His death, and His resurrection for us. It causes us to celebrate, to sing for joy that these things have happened, that our faith is rooted in historical realities. And so in seasons like this, we need to remember, and we need to seek fresh, fresh ears to hear the words and the stories of Christmas that are all too familiar. I hope that you'll take time in this Christmas season to read the narratives of Matthew and Luke that speak of the birth of Jesus. I hope you'll take the time to consider even the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1, which can be laborious to read and, and not sure why it's there, but, but as you look at that, what you see is this, this historical person that has a, has a lineage that can actually be traced all the way back to King David. It points us to the promise given to him, the covenant, that he would have a son one day, an eternal son who would, who would reign eternally. And Matthew is revealing Christ as this one. I hope that you'll stop to consider Joseph and Mary and, and the things that God did through their lives. As we see Joseph as a man struggling to know what to do when he's found out that his soon-to-be wife is pregnant and he knows that he is not the father. This child is not his. What is Joseph thinking? You have to be thinking. You have to, have to recognize that he's, he's wrestling with and thinking, what is my hope 
to, to deal with this mess, to save my reputation, to, to maybe try to protect this young woman who I care about, but, but what's my hope in this situation? To then have this angel of the Lord appear and speak a far greater hope than he was looking for. When it says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel then says, she's going to bear a son and you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. What a reversal for, for Joseph, right? I always wonder as a man what it would have been like for Joseph to hear those words, right? And believe me, I'm, I'm actually a guy who has, has received the news of a very unexpected, dare I say, miraculous pregnancy. That's a story for another time. But for Joseph, in that struggle and in that, that moment, as he's, he's, he's in turmoil, and yet has this, this greater hope brought in, where in a moment he shifts from seeing this baby as an illegitimate child, one that needs to be hidden from, from public knowledge, to in a moment then being presented as the Savior of the world that will eventually be proclaimed to the nations. What an amazing reversal. And I hope that as you, as you read through the stories of Matthew, you will, you will begin to see Matthew's purpose. That he, he's seeking to show and prove that Jesus is the historical fulfillment of Israel's long-awaited hope of Messiah. We see that in chapter 1 when he, when he quotes Isaiah 7 and calls Jesus Emmanuel. We see that in chapter 2 when Micah 5 is, 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 uh, is attributed to Jesus that he's the one born in Bethlehem. He is going to be the one to shepherd Israel. I hope you'll see that later when you hit chapter, uh, chapter 4 and you see Isaiah 9 applied to Jesus in the words, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Jesus comes as the fulfillment of hope. And what all these stories and all these prophecies ultimately show us is that God brings hope in very unexpected ways. Ways that you would never imagine and you might not look for. Jesus didn't come to a powerful family. He didn't come and rally a political rebellion. But He came into a world hidden from most people's view. And He ultimately gives His life and He offers hope in the most unlikely of ways. It's through His death. And the reason that all of these accounts of Jesus are so important, why, why we need to reflect on these stories is because of Jesus' birth, His life, His death, and His resurrection are the ground of everything that we hope in. And hope only works if it has a firm object. Faith only works if it has a firm object. For anyone who lives with hope, you ultimately, at the end of the day, have to ask yourself, what is the source of my hope? And I think that there's basically four approaches to hope that people end up living with. One way that people hope is with no hope. They have no hope. They basically have arrived and concluded that things are, are terrible. It's not going to get any better. And so we just have to accept it. 
And usually that leads people to either kind of just merely endure or to try to find a way to escape, to maybe medicate, or ultimately just to give up. Another way that people approach hope is just to have blind hope, kind of basically just a a wish. I don't know how things are going to get better, but I'm just going to choose to be optimistic and, and, and believe that things are going to improve. I have no idea how or why, but I'm going to throw a coin in the fountain and wish for the best. Maybe the universe will eventually balance itself out. Another way that many in our day have latched onto uh, an idea of hope is what I would call humanistic hope. It's the belief that with enough time and work, we can make things better. We can fix the world. For us individually, this, is, this becomes kind of the power of positive thinking, right? That if you just... You know, you can overcome all of your self-doubts and you can will your way to a better life, right? For many, this idea leads them to to lean into science and technology as kind of the answer to our current condition. The human development will ultimately transform the world into the utopia that we long for, right? We can do it. And for all that humanity has done to, to, to make advances in science and technology... Where has that left us? Where will that lead us? Hollywood has latched onto this tension in a lot of different movies. One movie that I saw this recently in was uh, the Avengers movie, The Age of Ultron, right? If you haven't seen it, basically, they're trying, like, Tony Stark, Iron Man, is trying to, trying to find a way to, to kind of protect the world from all these crazy forces that they've been encountering. And so his idea is to, is to use technology Let's just, let's develop this artificial intelligence that can kind of predict and guard us and protect us. So he tries to do this, all this stuff to create this thing, and ultimately he creates this, this robot with this, with this AI, Ultron. And what they hoped was that this idea, like, accidentally could, could protect them, but as Ultron evaluates humanity, he wants to protect humanity, but his, his ultimate conclusion is that he has to destroy humanity in order to save the world. Because from his perspective, it is humanity that is the biggest problem that has created all the struggle and all the tension and all the battle. And the movie has this trajectory of like, yeah, even though humanity is bad, like, we still have to have hope that we can overcome and that we can do better. And that's what so many kind of continue to hold on to. But even, even where we're at now, as we've made advances in science, technology, as we've grown in so many ways, where has that gotten us? And how fragile are we when a, when a small little virus brings us to our knees? Where's our hope? Can it, can it be in us, in ourselves? And at the end of the day, you have to recognize that so much of the problem does originate with us. It does come from us. But many will hold to a humanistic hope. The fourth way that I think people can turn to hope is with gospel hope. It's a hope that is anchored in the incarnation of Jesus, that God himself has entered into our world. He has come into human history, and he's come for the purpose of saving us and rescuing us from our greatest enemy, our own sin. So what is your source of hope? Is your hope rooted in something solid now that can actually give you confidence for the future? 
And if you're struggling to know where your hope lies, you have to simply ask yourself, what do you look to or envision as the answer to your current condition? What do you look to as the answer to your current condition? We'll often reveal our hope. But is it grounded in something now that has happened that can actually give you confidence for the future? Maybe you're here and you've just been exploring and searching for hope for a long time. You've lived with just wishful thinking. You've, you've maybe leaned on, on humanity to fix itself and you keep feeling disillusioned. Maybe you begin to explore Christianity to see, hey, maybe, is, is there anything here that it, that, it, that it can offer me? And in the incarnation of Jesus is offered to us something, something that can give us a sure and steady hope. So there's an invitation to come and to, to put your faith and your trust in this person who has come and to find hope that can never be taken away. Future hope is anchored in current realities. The last facet of our hope that I think we need to reflect on is that living hope reaches back into our present condition. Living hope reaches back into our present condition. A year or so ago, we, we walked through the book of 1 Peter. And I love how 1 Peter starts. As Peter encourages us and he says, you have been born again to a living hope. A hope that is, that is active and alive. You know, for me, uh, if, if you know me, I have been a lifelong Broncos fan. Never Broncos. And uh, if you ask me, you know, every, every season I, I, we have hopes and dreams for the team and how they're going to do. And uh, years ago, I would say that I had a living hope for the Broncos, right? Back when John Elway was playing or when Peyton Manning came to town. Like, like there was true belief and hope that we were going all the way. I looked forward to watching games. I, I carved out time for it. I invited people over to, to watch it. I had this living hope to, to see this team succeed. If you ask me now how my hope is for the Broncos, it looks very different. For the past four years or so, the team has been on a steady decline. And uh, every year I, I kind of have new hopes for the team, but they're, they're quickly dashed as each week goes by. And I'd say that I, I still am hopeful for them. It's not a very living and active hope. It's more of a wish, just trying to be optimistic. But for us, the Scripture tells us that, that we should have a, a living and active hope, something that reaches back and affects and shapes how we live here and now. I love how... Paul in Romans kind of unpacks this. In Romans chapter 8, as he, as he, as he tells us that, that this world we recognize is groaning, and he uses this in, in the pains of childbirth, that we, we recognize that in the world, the brokenness, and he says, we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption as sons, the, the redemption of our bodies. We wait for this full redemption that we're promised. But then he says this, he says, for in this hope we were saved. Romans 8:24. In this hope we were saved. And he says, now hope that is seen is not hope, right? Obviously, he says, who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, 
If we have a hope out there that we have a confidence in, and yet we don't see it yet, but we're assured of it, then that works its way back right now. And he says this. He says, then we wait for it with patience. We can wait with patience if we have a certainty of that. It was what I love about how we do gift giving around Christmas time, right? We, we in some ways enact this every year. If you think about, you know, birthday presents or anniversary gifts or other things, those things we just kind of, on the day of, of the event, we give them to the person, right? And they receive it and open it almost right away. But we don't do that with Christmas, right? We purchase these gifts. We, we wrap them up. We conceal them in a sense. And we place them under the tree. And so my kids, even though we're behind the game right now, we don't have any gifts under our tree yet, but eventually we will. And they'll see those gifts. And they'll look at them and they'll, they'll maybe see their name written on the label. They may shake it and wonder what it's going to be like to put the Legos together, to maybe get that thing that they're hoping for. So those gifts are there, their names are on them, the, the, the kids know that they are going to open those, but they don't get to open them yet. They have to wait. And day after day, they wait. But what the, the reality of those gifts under the tree and the certainty of opening those one day works its way back into their daily lives now where they see those things and it elicits a, a joyfulness, an anticipation, almost a, a, a celebration of sorts every day as they, as they wonder what it will be like when they arrive on Christmas morning and can finally tear that wrapping off and enjoy those gifts in their fullness. That's in many ways a picture of what our lives are like right now. As we have a certain and sure hope established for us, and yet we're called now to wait with patience. And as we spend these few weeks reflecting on these, these four Christian virtues that are accomplished through the incarnation of Jesus, that of peace, joy, hope, and next week Aaron will unpack love, it struck me as I, as, I, as I reflected on these things that hope is the only one of these which has an end point. There's a great song that we sing here at the crossing sometimes called, Jesus, I, my cross have taken. And I love the final lines of this song where it says, soon shall close thy earthly mission, soon shall pass thy pilgrim days. Hope shall turn to glad fruition faith to sight, and prayer to praise. And I just love the trajectory of that song that culminates in this climactic moment of the full realization of everything that we've longed for. To see our faith in reality, our hope will turn to glad fruition, to full completion. And as our period of living in hope has an end point, it is the confidence and the certainty of that hope that actually supports and undergirds all these other things that we celebrate, right? The peace that we feel presently, the joy that we can have in all circumstances, and the assurance of the love of God towards us is all rooted and anchored in the steadfast hope that Christ has come in His first advent and that He will 
come again. And so our hope is never merely just a distant longing, but it's a present reality that we possess. And when you have hope, you ultimately have the potential for joy, for peace, and to live a life of love. As I, as I told you that I'm more of an optimist, my wife is a self-proclaimed realist, otherwise known as a pessimist. <laughs> as, we have, as we've seen and discussed kind of our differences in how we approach things, in many ways we balance each other out well. But, uh, but I've realized that, that ultimately we're, we're both driven by fears in that, and similar fears in many ways. For me and my optimism, oftentimes I, I, just, I just don't want to deal with the feelings of despair and difficulty. And so I choose to believe, sometimes against everything that I see, that things are going to get better. I just kind of ignore it. I have certain phrases that my wife hates when I tell her, when she maybe shares a concern with me or an anxiety. If my response is, oh, it'll be fine, we'll figure it out, is one she hates. <laughs> it's going to all work out. Like, it's just this, this empty, optimistic, yeah, it'll, it'll just get better. And I think I'm just trying to ignore the, the challenge and the difficulty of actually dealing with whatever it is. And for someone, like my wife, that's a little more pessimistic, I think there's the fear of, of the letdown, of unmet desires. There's a desire to protect ourselves from disappointment. When, when things don't kind of go how, how we hope, we don't want to have that feeling of discouragement. And so we tend to guard our minds and our hearts against hopeful expectations. But I think either of those approaches and those personality types really only addresses kind of our immediate circumstances and how to deal with, with what's happening right in front of us. So I think ultimately as Christians, we're not called to merely just be optimistic or, or, or pessimistic on the world. There's a lot that calls for, for both of those things. But we're called to something higher. We're called to possess a true biblical hope that is anchored not in our circumstances and what we see happening, but ultimately in a person. It's anchoring our confidence in Jesus, fixing our hope on the restoration that is yet to be fully realized. And when we do that, our hopefulness does not just, does not just hang out there in the future as if we'll, we'll get to it eventually and we'll just slog through this. But it actually works its way back into our present experience and shapes our lives here and now, day to day. And it allows us to then wait, to wait on God to do what He is going to do, to know that He has a plan and a purpose that He is working out. And in the meantime, we wait because we know that everything's already under the tree. So it's not mere optimism that tomorrow will be better because it actually might not be. In fact, it may get worse. But our hope in the incarnation assures us that at some point in God's plan, in God's timing, God has guaranteed us a better day. So I want to close the sermon with the words of Romans chapter 15 that we started with. As Paul quotes from the book of Isaiah and ultimately attributes this 
to Jesus. When he says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the nations, in him will the nations hope. That root of Jesse has sprung up in the little town of Bethlehem, in the person of Jesus. And it has been growing and building and blossoming into this massive tree of the kingdom of God that He has called and united us into. And one day we will experience the full fruit of that. And so we can be encouraged by these words of Paul when he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And that is my prayer for us as a people in this season, that our belief in the work of Jesus, the accomplished realities of our Savior, would fill us with joy and peace, and that through the Holy Spirit, as He holds us and sustains us as His people, we would abound in a certain and steadfast hope, and a hope that we can share with a world that is in desperate search for something that will not fade. Let's pray to the God who gives us hope. Father, you have called us to yourself. You laid down your life in our place to provide for us something that we could not find in ourselves, a hope and a rescue that we long for. I pray that we would be a people who doesn't just ignore, but actually recognizes the brokenness around us. We see that this is a world that is in need of hope. Pray that we would fix our eyes fast on these all-familiar stories that reveal to us that our, that our future hope is anchored in current realities. And let us be a people who constantly allows that, that future hope to reach back into our present circumstances and to give us an active and living hope. Not just mere optimism that tomorrow is going to be great, but a hope that in the end you have promised us a greater day. We thank you, Father. We love you. Guide us this week as we go from here. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.